Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the keen Carl Halliburton, the astounding Amadeo Rosa, and the gregarious Greg Gordon. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Senda and Chuck, and we're going to ask each other questions. Inspired by RPG A Day, which was from back in August, uh, we're going to take a prompt from the list and ask our fellow gnomes to answer a question inspired by that prompt. And because this episode is all questions, we're just going to dive right into it. No get to know a gnome question, because all of these questions are going to let you get to know these gnomes. So, since my name comes first alphabetically, I'm going to start this off. The word I chose is couple, and my question to Senda and Chuck is, what is one of your all-time favorite in-game couples or relationships? Oh my god, I have so many good answers for this, but... (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with Senda. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I think I have, like I was saying, I have so many good options for this, but oh man... It is one of my favorite things to play, like, relationship drama, and the end result of that is that I play in a lot of couples and, and like, awkward triangles and stuff um, <laughs> constantly, but I think that the one that has to take the cake, so far at least, is that in the, the game that my group played, which was uh, Tales from the Loop. I ended up in a truly fantastic back and forth relationship with one of the other characters. I, gosh, I, I'm like, I, I'm not even describing it well because I'm like so excited <laughs> to just be <laughs> describing it. But I'm like, in my head, all I can see is the fan art that Wen got commissioned of this these two characters because it was so good. Well, and, um, and, and let's point out quick, just in case, you know, and I, you know, if you've been listening to the Gnome cast, you've got to know what Tales from the Loop is. But you're playing teenagers in the 80s. Yeah, teenagers in the 80s. And and we also got really impatient and didn't wait for things from the flood to come out. So we also ended up moving that story forward into the 90s and continuing it. So, oh, in brief, basically, we were like, he had a huge crush on my character and I was like the popular girl. So I didn't like admit that I had a crush on him. But we always went out on this like cute little date and like shared ice cream, which was super cute and sweet. And then the world exploded and dinosaurs came out of the ground and we all ran away. And at the end of that particular campaign, he went off like he disappeared from the face of the planet and no one knew where he went and no one could contact him. And it turned out he had gone to work for the loop. We discovered later when we came back in the 90s. But I had given up on him and moved on with my life and gone to college and was engaged to a very stupid man who was kind of nice, but pretty much dumb as rocks. And, um, so Himbos! he was, Sorry. Oh, he was definitely a himbo and his dad was rich. So he was like constantly trying to come up with new products that he was going to sell. And all of them oh. were terrible, like pizza flavored soda pop and stuff. He was also Ew. amazing. to play with. I love pizza and I love soda. Uh, and that's just, oh. a sympathetic so, fail son. I actually kind of <laughs> love the concept. But it got so good. So I was engaged to him and we started our 90s re-engagement of that campaign because we skipped ahead 10 years. It was the 90s and we started on my wedding day Um, and that's when the aliens invaded. And that (laughs) is when Wendy's character showed back up. So the rest of that campaign was basically the super awkward like, 
oh my gosh, I'm still in love with you, but I'm supposed to be marrying this other guy. Oh. <laughs> Until the very end where I ended up breaking up with the guy that I was engaged to and running off with Wynn's character. And it was fantastic. So I have so many love hearts for that entire thing and like so much appreciation for both of the gentlemen who played that story out with me because it was truly delightful. My 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 himbo fiance um did turn out to be kind of a half praying mantis alien guy who sort of maybe <laughs> ate people when he got angry. So, you know, <laughs> I just didn't really feel safe with him anymore into <laughs> the adventure. So it was a really it was really interesting. It was two very interesting arcs that involved two couples, but like the reconnection of like Oh, it was just so good. I feel like I have to put a disclaimer over all of this that is like, my Tales from the Loop game is not what I think you should expect going into Tales from the Loop. <laughs> um, so it was delightful and it was my favorite, like, emotional investment, like, couples experience all the way through on both of those parts because I had the wonderful experience of both, like, this like super saccharinely sweet like always say to each other is like baby talk lovey stuff we're engaged in getting married situation that literally just slowly devolved until it was like i'm kind of scared of you because you just ate my dad's body and um versus the other relationship which is like you just disappeared for 10 years and now you're back and i still have weird feels about this but like where were you and you were gone and you deserted me and like um yeah Good stuff. Anyway, does that kind of answer the question? That's two couples, I guess, because it was a beautiful little triangle of triangleness. <laughs> I mean, we want we want drama, so I'm assuming that this <laughs> expands beyond the immediate couple. At least I hope so. I hope. Yeah. So. No. That. Yeah. It was. It was so delightful. It was so very delightful. <laughs> I mean, right now I'm in cartel and I'm playing the wife, of course, and I'm playing the wife of um, El Narco. Of course. And he's trying to pin everything on me, but I have like had a relationship with pretty much everyone else in the game, including my current affair, which we're trying to get out of the country, you know. So if that counts as couples too, that is also amazing. But uh mostly, yeah, that tells from the loop game. That was a couple. What about what about you, Chuck? I'm not gonna ask you to top that, but I wanna know what your 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 favorite couple has been. Okay, so I am also expanding the definition of couple. So you know how you have like love triangles? This was just a love line. Uh, so <laughs> we were playing in a game of Monster Hearts with a whole bunch of, mm. of fairly close friends. And several oh, of us you. were just clearly trying to outdo each other on making the most awful, awful, awful people possible. People in air quotes. And so... <laughs> It's like the line kind of starts with one of my friends who is playing a Frankenstein who wasn't really human, didn't really understand any of what was going on with this. And so he was sort of his own self. My character was a deeply, desperately in the closet guy who was madly in love with the Frankenstein, uh, but like was really super unhealthy about it. His girlfriend, who was a fey queen who was only dating him, because he was the only man that didn't immediately fall under her spell. And she was so frustrated by this and didn't understand it that, that she just became obsessed <laughs> with him because she needed him to be obsessed with her. And then finally, the, the girl who was in love with the ice queen who never gave her the time of day. So it was just this line of like every single person only being interested in the person that gave them no attention and it was like so toxic and terrible and it was awful. And I had this whole idea that at the end I was going to be the worst person. And if we hadn't run out of time, I am convinced I would have succeeded. 
that was probably my favorite sort of romantic thing. I was also the only mortal in the whole thing. That was why I wanted to be just the absolute the worst. worst. Yeah. Actually, that's funny because you're, you're, you're describing this and I'm like, okay, but what, what kind of, what kind of creature were you? What, what were you? A bad, like, bad oh, no. person. That is you the kind of creature I was. Awful human being. Yeah. My, my like climax moment was going to be when I exposed the Frankenstein guy as a not human and forced everyone to chase him down for being a monster, but in the process, revealing what a monster I was. Dun, dun, dun. I was so proud of that, and it just never happened. What about you, Ange? So my, my couple in question, my favorite couple in question was not actually a romantic couple. Me and my friend Chris, when we game, I, it's, just, it's just been happening over the last couple of years that our characters end up bonding mm -hmm. like we made twin brother and sister dwarves for a pathfinder game and like that was a lot of fun but a year or so a couple of years later we did this fate based and then we switched to savage worlds mm -hmm. anyway fate based like per, you know supernatural like not world of darkness not dresden files but kind of concepts from both of them set in san francisco and I made a werewolf who was exiled from the main pack. There were reasons she was considered an outcast. And he made a changeling fae who had not yet decided whether they wanted to embrace their mortal side or their fae side. And the two of them be were best friends. And it was just, it worked out perfectly that the, like, the more enraged Dalen, my character became the calmer Libby got, but the more upset Libby got, the calmer Dalen would be. So it's like the two of them had this perfect symbiotic relationship of the more upset one was, the more in control and calm the other would be. And they would take turns being, you know, like completely out of control or completely in control, depending upon what the other person was freaking out about. You know, it was just like we had this one car chase scene where Dalen was driving the van and Libby and like was getting more and more upset as these people are attacking the van as we're trying to drive and just like getting more and more out of control. And like Libby's just getting calmer and calmer and calmer and more able to handle. It was just that type of that type of symbiotic relationship is one thing I love to explore in games like that. So nothing as dramatic as the Tales from the Loop, <laughs> you know, well, epic romance. The thing, the thing that I was just going to add on um, as a as side note, and um, I'll send Rob the link so that he can include it in his show notes, is that when and I actually wrote a shared gnome stew article when we, because we ended up getting together the two of us to truly get to the actual conclusion of that game, which was the part where he died. Because <laughs> um, why happy endings? And uh, and so like uh, we can I, I, we'll just put a link to that in the article that has a lot of feels. <laughs> oh. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on to Chuck's question. Right. So my question sort of hinges on the word strange. Uh, little little bit of context. I'm deeply into like old UK history right now, like barely pre-Rome or even during the Roman occupation. And so one of the things that's jumping out in that over and over again is uh, how familiar things become strange. Like the name of Winchester is, is Wittenchester in a TV show that I'm watching. And, and it, it's, it's interesting that things that are otherwise just so aggressively bland 
take on this deeply fascinating cast when something about them is made strange. So my question for you two is, how do you make either the different or the familiar strange in your games without leaning on stereotypes or, heaven help us, giving us yet another set of tentacles? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good, that's that's a really good question. Oh man, for this one, you know, and and I love I love settings that are basically the 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 world we know but pushed a little off center. Mm-hmm. You know, pushed a little to the weird. Like that's probably one of the reasons why I love running Tales from the Loop is that I can have this like and it, it this slight tangent on Tales from the Loop, but when I <laughs> run it, I have Two things I need to account for. One, the millennials who did not, the millennials and the Gen Zs who did not grow up in the 80s and don't understand that, no, you really could get on your bike and disappear for the day and your parents didn't care as long as you came home by the time the streetlights were on. That was a thing. That was an honest to goodness thing. And like, there's so many people who's like, this game is so unrealistic. This would never, no, 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 no. This is, this is actual reality. Mm-hmm. And then I have to factor in the nostalgia factor for any of the Gen Xers who actually lived through the 80s and are all of a sudden mired in this, you know, this, the, you know, you have to account for at least 20 to 40 minutes of, you know, nostalgia rambling throughout the game. Anyway, but I love taking, you know, just these, these slight twists on things people expect. And just, you know, like ramping up the, the, the weird technology aspect of it or playing up the, you know, it's like I'm not coming up with any specific examples, but taking, you know, taking the time to remind the players of what's normal while also nudging them towards the but this is the fantastic part of what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So do you think that that abnormal always has to be fantastic in some ways, or are there more sort of mundane ways to give that strange cast to things? I think there are more mundane ways. There are, like, the example I'm thinking of is, like, one of the Tales from the Loop scenarios I have features two NPCs, one of which is a dog and one of which is a very fat house cat. Mm Mm-hmm. And like these are NPCs, they're they're just it's just a well trained dog and a very demanding fat cat, mm-hmm. but they play an important role in the particular scenario. But playing, you know, like emphasize, you know, playing those characters as the GM, playing those NPCs helps, you know, helps reinforce the weirdness of the situation the characters are finding themselves in, even though. It's just a well-trained dog and a very fat cat. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's like the chunk of chunks when it comes to that cat. But it's like just playing up the little bit of weirdness about mm-hmm. the two of them helps reinforce that you're not in Kansas anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. Also, sounds like a great jumping off point for the officially licensed Garfield RPG. <laughs> Mondays are a nightmare coming in 2021. Um. Senda. Amazing. Um, so I was I've, I've been I, I was lucky because I had more time to think about this than Ange <laughs> because I made her talk about it first. <laughs> the interesting thing to me and, and I'm going to straight up say I don't know if I always succeed at this as a GM, right? Like I actually think that this is one of those specific places that because of the type of game I tend to run the most frequently, 
which leans towards being a little bit more cartoony. This is something that in terms of like subtlety, but getting players to actually still perceive or feel the weird, um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily always feel super confident in as the person running the game. But I think in recent history, the game that I have been not so much running because it is GMless, but facilitating that has given me the opportunity to experiment with this kind of stuff has been this Discord has ghosts in it. And I, A, I adore that game and everybody should get it right now because in these pandemic times, games that are written to be played remotely are great. Hmm. (laughs) Secondarily, the really interesting thing about that game is um, one of the things you have to do before you start playing since it is about ghosts and so you can, you know, go really full horror gore or you cannot. Kind of calibrating the level of strange slash creep versus like jump scare gore Mm -hmm. and really really fascinatingly one of the things about that game that i think works super duper well and so it's great because i don't have to try to make the strange weird happen it Mm -hmm. sort of mechanically happens is that when you're playing a ghost you don't verbally speak and when you're playing a ghost hunter you can only verbally speak and there's a weird Even though, like, we know we're all friends, whatever, 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 right? But the weird disconnect in communication when you as a ghost hunter are talking to a ghost, but you have to wait for them to finish typing or to drop the thing in, it's really interesting to mechanically use that latency time to create the sensation of weird because you are not having a conversation with a normal person. You are having a conversation with a ghost. And so it doesn't work the same way that we have conversation patterns. So that's that's one of those things that it's just, it's super weird and cool how that takes that familiar and kind of twists it. And it's part of the reason that I really, really, really like that game, because I think that it's exceedingly effective. But it also means that as a ghost, you can do weird stuff with your text and things so that like the text still looks like text mostly. Okay, so so two things, two things. I'm so in love with that. I like I It's so good. <laughs> dear listener, you cannot see the cartoonish <laughs> progression of facial expressions that just went across <laughs> my face. Unfortunately, Anjan Senda can uh send them the sympathy best. cards. It was um the best. but uh oh, okay, so first of all, what was the name of that game again so we can be sure to put it in the doobly doo? Yeah, it's called This Discord Has Ghosts in It. Okay, I'm like immediately going to go buy that game. You really should. <laughs> second, second, do you think that that approach of a disconnect in communications, which is exactly the kind of answer that I was hoping for because I'm shamelessly using smarter people than me to give me game ideas. <laughs> do you think that same disconnect in communication could be used for things other than ghost and ghost hunter, like maybe priest and god or what other relationships might fit in with that? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was sort of noodling around with, but like pandemic brain, so didn't kind of continue follow through with the idea of actually using a similar setup and basically making a hack of the game that was a little bit more like alien, like human Ooh. communication stuff, right? Like that would be really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, it's still jotted down in my notebook. I don't know if I'll get there because just like creativity stuff, pandemic, you know, but that would also be super neat. So I think, I mean, I think it's something that you could use pretty effectively any time that there's sort of like a gap or communication-like pause. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you can use, basically, if you if you shift so that you're not communicating in the same way, it 
creates that some of that same weird like tense feeling like part of what i love about it in this discord has ghosts in it is that when you when i'm like a ghost hunter i'm like sitting there i will say something to a ghost and you have to sit there and wait and you don't know what's going on while you're waiting and so like there's a little bit of tension that comes from like oh what is happening or sometimes you end up in a room with two ghosts and they are going back and forth typing like mad and you're like interjecting questions and they're ignoring you or like half typing but you have to follow their conversation to pick up who's responding to you. So it is wild because it really does. It feels like basically communicating on different channels, right? Mm -hmm. So it has that feeling of weird because it is not how we as humans would generally choose to communicate if we just had our choice, right? In the moment. That's, and I'm, I'm sitting amazing. here thinking of the... Uh, my, my East Texas University game, they recently talked with the ghost of a football coach uh, who is haunting the stadium, and uh, he can only speak in football plays and inspirational <laughs> speeches, and it was, it was like only one of the players has made their character a football fan, right. so she was the only one that could talk to the coach. Him. That's amazing. So communication things are like, Communication like one things of those things are, that are mm -hmm. definitely be used to emphasize the weird. Mm -hmm. The other thing that this Discord has ghosts in it can do because of its very nature as being a remote game is that as a ghost, you can also choose to specifically communicate with graphics or GIFs or images or sounds and just not write any words at all and be like, here, interpret this. So right? you could interpret a GIF, you say? <laughs> uh oh, are we gonna have this fight? Uh -oh. <laughs> say you had an animated image file. <laughs> I really just couldn't resist. I couldn't. Oh, that's excellent. Chuck, did you did you did you want to add an answer to your own question? Oh uh, no, I one hundred percent just wanted to harvest ideas from other people. <laughs> Y'all are so much smarter than me. Yeah, let's let's do that. Okay, so send a like your question. Give us, give you're us your question. Even, you're not yeah, even, not even trying. I'm not going to try to hold up to this Discord has ghosts. Come <laughs> on. I know what I've been beat. Okay, so the word that I was choosing to, to do a question off of, and I was extremely mean because I didn't write this in the show notes, so no one knows what I am going to ask them. Um, but the word that I chose was dramatic. So what I wanted to just throw out there is what is your favorite way to create drama at the table? Hmm. You know, I was kind of just thinking about this. I was thinking about it more in terms of one shots and whether or not I'm, you know, I'm running a game where the players are creating their characters at the table or the characters are just blank slates that they can add their own stuff to, or it's a specific set of characters that have drama kind of built into the game they're going to be playing. And you know, I was trying to think, I have this I have this D and D scenario that I run that has a very specific dramatic ending, and I love running it to see how different players have their characters respond to everything that has happened up to that point. And I think I think one of the things I kind of got out of my, you know, laying in bed trying to go to sleep and thinking about games for hours meandering on this was more that if you to get the the good dramatic moments, you have to have build up. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to set stuff up so that the drama actually, you know, has impact. 
Like, you can't necessarily, you know, start a game out and immediately have drama. You need to let the players settle into their characters, settle into the scenario that's happening, slowly build up the, the, the what's happening and the tension, and emphasize their involvement in it, you know, and pull on their emotions so that when you get to that point that you really want to have something dramatic happen, they are invested mm -hmm. in their characters and what's happening. You know, so like the 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 D and D scenario I have, I could not go out. I could not start the scenario at the point where they're all making these decisions because they haven't had a chance mm -hmm. to play the characters and settle into who that character is and what their emotional ties are to the other characters or the world itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it definitely you definitely have to you have to have that build up, and I think it's totally achievable in a one shot. You just have to, you just have to kind of understand what you're doing and have a specific, you know, point of drama that you're trying to get to or, you know, allow to have happen. So to sort of piggyback off of that, if I can just step in, I'm so sorry. I just did not, oh, did no, not yeah, get no. invited. I just invited myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, the drama. <laughs> the drama. So I love that. He's crashing the party. I, I totally, it, it, it's so me. So... To sort of create that investment in the world, I love that, and I completely agree. And, like, I just want to add to that, that rather than, like, cherry-picking specific things that are going to become dramatic or specific stakes in the world, which is totally valid but requires way more planning and attention than I have ever been able to give a game, I think scattering things with red herrings liberally <laughs> is such a great... Like, just throw things at it. Like, this door is red. And the handle is on the opposite side from every other handle on the street. And just throw a few things like that into the game and see what your characters grab and the decisions that they make around that. And quick aside, if you're one of my players, please don't listen to this part. And then wait <laughs> until after your players sort of jump into that and they begin to invest their own read into that. Like, oh, I think that this is going on over there. And you're like, yes, that's 100% what I had planned, which is like the <laughs> oldest GM trick in the book. But gather a few of those, periodically remind your players of it, and then bring it back. And then suddenly their decisions they did or didn't make at the beginning suddenly have stakes that they didn't have at the time. So that's Super sort of my good. take on that. Yeah. Um, I will I will just say I will add one one part to this because and I know this will surprise no one. Side note, Chuck, I feel like you and I run games very similarly. I, I, one of these days in, like, soon we're going to have to find out. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's just do this. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So the thing that I will throw out is I love creating drama by pulling on people's relationships. So for mm. me, one of my Shocking. favorite ways to create it is to make sure <laughs> that everybody has relationships in mm -hmm. the game. Um, so that you have something to, to mess with, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, relationships are an easy way usually to get people invested before you actually start play at the table. They have something they're invested in before they're even really invested in the world necessarily that they have a relationship with this other person and then you can mess with it. <laughs> no, that's a super good point. That's mm -hmm. my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. the, and, and the end result of that is that I usually end up adding relationships into even games that don't necessarily have them built in. Mm -hmm. because I like how they play out dramatically better with relationships than without them. I very specifically 
in games that don't necessarily have a let's build relationships at the beginning mechanic, I've almost always pulled something in to make that happen, you know, before we get into the game. Because it just, it's like, it's a quick shortcut to for the players to be able to jump into their characters and have and feel like they're actually in that world. Yeah, agree. So I, I do have to say one thing that we need to be careful with that is unless you're actually systematizing it and you just have that one person that wants to have relationships with other characters at the table or other people, it becomes really tempting because relationships are a thing that you can take away, right? They give you that dramatic tension, just like you were talking about. But if you only have one player that has that, that player starts to feel really embattled. That was one of my early big missteps as a GM. I actually had a player come up to me and say, I feel like you're picking on me. Did you make me mad? And I'm like, no. And she said, well, then why are you why are you having people kill my mother, my grade school teacher? My, <laughs> like, oh, because you're the only person who gave me who anybody that anybody cares about. Yeah. And I learned yeah. my lesson there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's um y- yes. I mean, definitely I think that it's something that everybody has to be in equally so that you mm-hmm. can pull on everyone yep. instead of just like one person getting yanked on, but it is also really interesting because I really like having people who have uh, a relationship with someone in the world, but then also relationships with the other PCs. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. then it's a, usually usually what I'm setting up is the relationship to the other PCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then again, you need to be aware of who you're, like, especially for your regular campaigns, your regular game groups, be aware of what your players respond to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because I have one player in my regular group who he'll set up the relationships with the other PCs, but he doesn't allow them to affect him. He doesn't dive into them. Mm-hmm. But if you give him an NPC that he has established a relationship with, you can pull on those strings much stronger than you can with his his character's relationships with the other PCs. And I think it's a comfort zone thing for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it makes him feel too vulnerable if he has a connection to a PC and you're pulling on those strings. Whereas if it's a connection to an NPC, it's a little more disconnected and he can play. Like, he's never going to play a great romance mm-hmm. in a game. That's just not who this player is. But... I've seen him respond more strongly to his NPCs, you know, needing help or having issues or pulling on his, you know, loyalties to them better than I've seen it work with him and the other PCs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he tries to stay very superficial with the other PCs. Yeah, I think relationships are definitely something that works super well for me and my particular crew that I play with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is definitely something that depending on how comfortable people are being vulnerable with the other people at the table, you will have mixed results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, When when people are willing to jump in, I think that they're very effective and I love them. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so sort of piggybacking off of that in in a little bit less sort of abstract terms, you have games like Monty Cook Games as uh, Numenera or The Strange or other games like that, where they will actually have that systematized, okay, this player, one of your players, X, Y, or Z. One of the things that they did that I'm not sure whether I love it or hate it or somewhere in between is they'll actually have mechanical things associated with that. So I think one of them is you do illusions, and one of the other players isn't affected by your illusions. How they interact with that is up to you two. Do you think that, because I, on the one hand, I could see how some sort of mechanical aspect to that relationship could sort of draw in a player who isn't used to thinking about things in sort of squishy terms, but on the other hand, that also systematizes and draws a line around relationship in, relationships in ways that people may not like. So what do folks think of that? 
That's really fascinating. I actually haven't ever run any of the Monty Cook games yet. They're um, really good. They're yeah, really, really good. they sound really good. Honestly, it's it's not it's not because I wouldn't run or play them. It's just literally because the opportunity has not yet arisen, and there are so many games. Um, <laughs> so I, I mean, I guess for me, I think it's easier to be emotionally invested for dramatic purposes in relationships that are specifically drawn up in such a way to create character drama and not necessarily mechanical adjustments, mm -hmm. right? Like, to me, the, what, the, the example that you're using, while that actually sounds really neat, mm -hmm. I think that having the conversation about why that is is going to tell you more about the world and the individual people than the relationship between those two people because mm -hmm. the relationship between them being sort of more of a, a byproduct of their two histories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I can see like like that specific example not really fostering any sort of connection between the two characters other than, well, I know I can't use my illusions on Bob. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like I could see like I have discovered that you have to be you have to be careful and purposeful about forging, you know, having your players forge relationships between each other and the world because it is very easy for the players to just do a surface level connection that doesn't create any investment. I had a Firefly game go belly up hard because I tried to have the, the players set up connections between their characters and they just kind of hand waved some simple connections. And therefore, when problems started happening between the characters, they were also happening between the players. Yeah, mm -hmm. It was, it was, it was, it was bad. It was bad. It nearly destroyed a friendship because they were just, it was just bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. I think that's an important point. Drama at the table does not mean drama between players. No, no, we don't want, yeah. we don't want drama yeah. between players at all. That's never the goal. Yeah. The thing that I would say is usually when I end up implementing relationship stuff that is not mechanically already included in the game, I sort of go for the Powered by the Apocalypse style, which is a, a, a leading statement about why these two characters are already emotionally involved mm -hmm. with then like mm -hmm. a, and distinguish who this person is and now fill in some details. Mm -hmm. And they, that kind of statement forces you to make some decisions because definitely you can go into a, a, a game and be like, how do our two characters know each other? And then somebody might say, you know, like, you know, like, oh, we've been following each other on, on Twitter for a while. And it's like, I mean, that's fine. And in real life, that kind of thing happens all the time. But it doesn't give me a whole lot of investment to work off of about why you might care about each other at all. Right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just bringing that back to thirsty sword lesbians. And that ah. actually sounds like a great <laughs> backstory there. Like, they've been mutuals for literally years liking each other's posts. See, that's, that's different because you, in that framework, <laughs> in that framework, that's yearning and smitten. Oh, right? yeah. Like, yeah. And that's not just like, oh, yeah, sometimes we just tweet. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that's like, I think about you all the time and I'm trying to only like every other thing that you post so that you don't think that I'm stalking you. <laughs> and also, I make a very, like, every time I respond to one of your tweets, I have to draft it like five times before I'm satisfied. And sometimes I just delete it because maybe. Maybe you'll interpret it incorrectly or like, you know, like that's that's different. Yeah. Uh, Keyboard smash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. 
Yeah, so I, I guess it, it, it's about it's it's about the the framework of the game as definitely well. The, there's yeah. definitely contextually there's stuff yeah. that matters. Side note: Thirsty Sword Lesbians is gonna be great. Keep your eyes open for the Kickstarter in October. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's a good point to end on and move into our outro. Unless there's anything the two of you would like to add as a last note. Uh, no, just y'all are awesome, and this is always fun, and I can't wait to do more of these, so. <laughs> yeah. So, this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by the Endless Questions of Hobbyists. Just come up with a related word, and you can go on for hours talking about that thing that non-hobbyists everywhere slowly sidestep out of the room for. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. The Lounge. Doc finds the best, the brightest, the most fun game designers and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in The Lounge. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? Chuck, go! Uh, if you're extremely lucky, at at innocuouschuck on twitter.com, but I'm locked down most of the time, just ask. I'll usually say yes and follow back. But, you know, professional stuff. <laughs> Senda, go! Well, you can find me on Twitter at I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. That's Idella Mifflin. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also find me on my other podcast, uh, Pandas Talking Games, and she's a super geek. Um, sometimes it's easier to find those on Twitter than to spell my unspellable Twitter handle. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Yay, random fantasy name generators! Yay! Yes. What a mistake! Yeah. It's a bit now, <laughs> I can never change it! <laughs> and Ange, where do we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Though I will warn you, I am pretty much silent on Twitter, and Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats. So, yeah. But you can find me at both of those places. I mean, that's what the internet is for. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the internet I mean, is for no cats. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and on that note, do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? So I think it's a team effort. So the other podcasts going on at the same time better pull their own weight or we're going to push them down to the bottom of the stew. Yeah, I'm vicious I like that. Good you know, at the top of the show notes every week, it's like, this is a 20 to 25 minute show. And here we are, 42 minutes in, and I always go, whoops. Probably landing in the stew now. <laughs> it's like a sous vide at that point. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. I know what I've been been beat. Been been beat. I've been been beat. Rob, please make me sound less dumb. I'm begging. <laughs> okay so yes oh oh wait 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 wait, 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 wait. (laughs) give me a second bloop okay now (laughs) now he's got one for later (laughs) ah there we are